My name's Tyler Hardy, and we are continuing a series um, called Rooted. And um, uh, Mitchell did a great job in week one talking about the gospel, and, and then Chris unpacked the church last week. And I just want to remind us kind of why we're doing this series is because we, we see this verse in Colossians 2, 6 through 7. It says, Therefore, as you received Christ, Jesus the Lord, so walk in him, rooted and built up in him, and established in the faith, just as you were taught, abounding in thanksgiving. The idea of being rooted, established in your faith, means you've actually got to be rooted in God's word. And so more or less, this is a series where we are diving into some of the core beliefs and the doctrine of our church. And by the way, it is of the scriptures. And we're just trying to be on the same page because it matters that you actually own what you believe. If you only believe what mom and dad told you or what you heard from a podcast or someone's article or something else or some person interpreting the Bible for you and kind of giving you their ideas, if you don't go to the source itself and get that into you, you won't make it. You just won't make it. There's too many great arguments out there that can maybe dissuade you or to move you here or there. But if you know the word of God and it's firmly planted in you, all of a sudden you are rooted and established so that your tree personally can actually grow and expand and be a place of blessing to people around you and that you are unmoving, unwavering when the storm comes, when the attacks come, when the mockers come, when the, when the resistance comes, you're like, okay, bring it, but I'm not moving, right? You don't want to be blown over when there's 15 mile an hour winds. Right? And, 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 I, and I would argue that for us, if we are not willing to commit ourselves to knowing what we, we, what we believe and why we believe it, you will get blown over when the storm comes. So today we're going to focus in on baptisms and the Holy Spirit. All right? We're going after two tiny topics here. And so we're going to tackle it. All right? And, um, and, 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 and so as we dive into it, we're going to kind of do it in, in two parts, but you'll see how they're tied together and connected at the end, and I want you to know this up front, that with baptism, we're not mainly talking about a religious ritual or a church tradition, all right? And in fact, in order for us to really understand baptism, why is it really important to us, we need to understand a couple of errors that are out there that may be coming um, uh, from, from other churches or maybe something that, that you've heard. And these are two errors we would see scripturally, um, or, or that, that we would say that the scripture counters these errors. The first one is this. Um, that some people view baptism, they actually treat it as something special that happens in terms of you getting saved. So instead of it being saved by faith through grace in Christ, it is you actually saved in that baptism. So that's error number one, is that the water baptism is a thing that saves you. Error number two is that water baptism is some sort of Christian add-on, right? You can just kind of add it on to Christianity. Hey, I'll kind of take that. Some can, some can. It's kind of up to you. It, uh, but that it's some sort of add-on within the Christian life, all right? So those are two errors, and so now we're going to talk about baptism essentials, all right? So you can write baptism essentials. We've got five, and the first two are pretty quick and pretty simple, all right? So what are essentials to baptism? The first one is this. Jesus was baptized. That's it. Okay, point two. <laughs> the second point is this. Jesus commanded his followers to baptize others. We see this in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19 and 20. He says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. You see, to actually fulfill the great commission, which is what this is called, this commandment from Jesus, to actually fulfill that, you cannot make disciples by just teaching them. 
by nature, to fulfill this is actually making disciples includes baptizing and teaching. It is both and. So baptizing and teaching them are very clear commands. That's another essential to why the baptism actually matters because it's part of fulfilling the Great Commission. The third reason is this. Um, when we obey this command, it was a command where we were being baptized, where we were being immersed, immersed in water. So immersion, right? Let me kind of unpack this for a minute. If you go to Acts chapter 8, verse 36 and 38, what we see there is you see the story of Philip. And so Philip is a believer and God speaks to him and tells him, hey, you need to go ask that Ethiopian guy if you can hop in his chariot. So there's this Ethiopian guy who's part of the high court serving the Ethiopian queen. He happens to be in Jerusalem kind of checking out the scene there, what's going on. And someone gives him some copy of, 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 of uh, uh, Isaiah. And so he starts reading through the prophet Isaiah, starts reading through this stuff. And if you ever read Isaiah, it's kind of like, what does this even mean? I mean, you're like, this is cool imagery and poetry, but I'm not even sure where it lands. So imagine someone who's no grid. He's kind of reading this stuff. And so uh, Philip says, hey, can I, can I hit you ride in your chariot? Where are we going? Well, we're just going to go and I'll hop in. Okay, so Philip's now in the chariot and he sees this man reading this. And uh, Philip's looking over his shoulder. He's like, hey, do you know what that means? And the guy's like, no, do you want to tell me about it? He's like, set up, right? And so Philip then begins to unpack it. This is what it says in verse 36. Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with this scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. And as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch, the Ethiopian eunuch, he said, see, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop, and they both went down into the water, Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. Now, I want you to see a couple of things here, okay? The first one is this, is that baptism in the Greek means to dip or to immerse. And most scholars agree that this is the way the early church practiced baptism. I want you to see, to see something else, though. Notice it says, and beginning with the scripture, he told him the good news about Jesus. Now, if you read the verses leading up to this, the portion that the Ethiopian is reading about Isaiah says nothing about baptism. But somehow the Ethiopian, through Philip sharing with him the good news, the gospel about Jesus, we have to, I guess, guess that he incorporated baptism into that presentation because otherwise, how would the Ethiopian know about it? And so here he's saying he presented the good news about Jesus, which included baptism. And so then he's like, hey, there's some water. What prevents me from jumping in right there? He's like, sure. It didn't have to be a baptism service. Didn't have to be a crowd, right? He didn't have to sign off on a long list of things. It, it was like, you just received Christ. He's like, let's get baptized. And so what do we see there? Baptism doesn't have to be very complicated, but it does require that someone is baptizing you, by the way. You can't baptize yourself. That'd be kind of awkward looking. And number two, it's got to be someone that actually knows Jesus, believes in Jesus. And so it's a believer baptizing someone else. And what we see here in the immersion aspect is he's saying we need to go down into the water. And therefore, they go into the water. He goes under just as Jesus went under the water. And now, why is that significant? Because going under the water, being fully immersed is, 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 is significant because the same thing as Jesus being buried in the tomb. Right? And so baptism ultimately 
is about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, which is really what the gospel's about. And it is pointing back to the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, the baptism, that whole thing is, it's like, there you are. You're alive. Now you're dying. Now you're going into the water. Now you're coming back up. Now you're alive again. It is, it is pointing back to that very thing of which saves you. And so what he's doing here, when you go under, it wasn't that the, it wasn't that the stone was rolled partly over the tomb of Jesus. Hey, soldiers, just, it's going to be half open. Make sure no one sneaks past. It was fully closed, utter darkness, buried. And so when you go under, that's the symbolism there. It's like you are going under. You are fully buried with Christ. Now, where does immersion, where does baptism need to take place? There may be all different thoughts out there, but let me just say this. From what we see in the scriptures, it doesn't really matter where it happens. There just needs to be water and a believer baptizing you. So I've seen it in hot tubs. I've seen it in horse troughs, how we do it here. Um, I've seen it in pools and lakes and rivers and streams. I've seen it in bathtubs. Anywhere you can just get someone's body under that water to be the same thing as burying them. That's what we see in the scriptures over and over. And I want you to know here at Antioch, we do celebrate baptisms uh, corporately. We do that uh, once a semester. So November 11th, if you're wanting to get baptized, you can write that down. November 11th, we're doing our big baptism service. We baptize people here. It is crazy, and we are ruckus about it because we celebrate what people are saying, what they're declaring, what they're proclaiming, and that's happening November 11th. But I want you to know, too, you don't have to get baptized on a Sunday morning at Antioch. You can go to your life group and say, hey, guys, I want to get baptized. Let's go to Lake Bryan. Let's go to the pool. Let's, let's do it. Right? I mean, you can do it all sorts of ways. There's not some ritualistic way because that's not the point. Now, baptism. We're going to go back to Romans 6 here and look at why, really why is it so important? Romans 6, verse 3 and 4. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So what we see here is that baptism is not the means by which we are saved. Faith is the means by which we are united to Jesus and justified. But we show this faith and the act of baptism. We demonstrate it. We show it. You know, every wedding I've ever done includes this moment. And it's when I'm up there and the husband and the wife, here they are, the, the man and woman, they are making their vows to each other. And in making their vows, there's an exchange of rings, right? So it's always kind of funny because you're really hoping that ring fits. You know, I've, I've been to a few where it doesn't fit, and all of a sudden one of them starts freaking out. Just put on the pinky. No one, no one can see that, you know? And so you just kind of slide it on there, right? But each person has the rings, and it's a really big moment. <clears throat> but let me ask you a question. Do the rings make someone married? What, what makes someone married? The covenant vows that were just made. The rings are a symbol. Hey, I've made a covenant with somebody else and it's not you. It's her. You wear a ring to show the world, I have made a covenant. I am all in. I am taken. No thank you. I am committed to her through sickness and health, the good and the bad and the ugly. She is mine and here we are. And I'm wearing this ring to remind me of that and remind all of you of that. It is a symbol pointing back to the covenant, to the marriage. It's the same thing. Baptism is pointing back to our faith, our covenant, 
that, that Christ, literally, God has made through us, through Jesus Christ, we now have this covenant relationship with him. Baptism is pointing back to that very covenant. This is why baptism is so powerful. Because when you go under, you are buried with him. You are then raised. He says here, we too might walk a newness of life. As a result of Christ's death, burial, and resurrection, we then have the opportunity to walk a newness of life, to live as a new person. In fact, in Galatians 3, it goes on in verse 26 and 27. It says, for in Christ Jesus, you are all sons of God through faith. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. So lastly, baptism is an expression of faith only for believers. And the pattern that we see over and over, specifically in the book of Acts, is that people repented for their sins, they put their faith in Jesus Christ, and then most of the time we're actually immediately baptized. Which for us, we have to realize there doesn't actually have to be a waiting period. You don't see that in the scriptures. You just see over and over, they turn to Christ. Let's get baptized. I mean, we've got, this is, this is part of it, right? And so what you have to understand is that in, in the Old Testament, men were circumcised to signify their membership in the old covenant with God, right? The, the Israelite men. Yet in the New Testament, men and women are baptized to signify their membership in the new covenant of God. Circumcision is the old covenant, and it was an outward expression. In the New Testament, the inward expression of faith is us being circumcised of the heart and is faith in Christ, and that is what seals us. And at the same time, then there's an outward expression of water baptism, meaning there is power not because of the water, because of what it symbolizes. There's power when someone is baptized and they come up out of the water. When we do baptisms, whether it's here or we used to do them at the Hilton Hotel, we'd go to the hot tub and it was a circus, you know? These people are staying at the Hilton after an AM game and they're thinking, what is going on? There's people are yelling, shouting. There's people in the hot tub. What is going on? You know, and people are sharing their testimony. We're like dunking them and going crazy celebrating for them. Why do we make it a big deal? Why do we do that and not this? That's nice. He got baptized. That's cool. Good job. Now you're wet, you know? Why are we saying it actually matters? It's not a check off the box. It's not a, oh, I should probably do that to fit in around here. It's like, no, 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 no. You miss the power of it. The power is that when you go in that water, you come out, you are putting on Christ. That's what Paul is saying right here. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ, which means when that person comes out, out of that water, what does that mean? That means there's power in the name of Jesus Christ. There is power, right? Every knee will bow at the name of who? Jesus. <laughs> Evil spirits flee at the name of Jesus. People are healed of sickness because of Jesus. People are saved from eternal separation from God the Father because of Jesus. Go on down the list. He does it all. It's because of Jesus, which is why I'm like, get baptized, come up. And it is like, put the old raggedy coat off and put the new coat of Christ on. And now all of a sudden you are a force to be reckoned with, right? This is what it's about. This is why it is so powerful because now you have the power to choose life now because you are no longer the old person. You are the new person. You are resurrected. The old self is gone. <clears throat> 
But that's not all. It doesn't just end with receiving Christ through faith for forgiveness of our sins. It doesn't just end with us then following it up with being baptized in the death, burial, and resurrection. It continues on. And in fact, in Matthew chapter 3, we see the scene of Jesus, familiar scene of him getting baptized. It says in verse 16 and 17, and when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water and behold, the heavens were opened to him and he saw the spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. Now I want you to remember this scene right here because it, this plays itself out over and over and over. We'll get into that. So here's what I want you to see though from this scene. Um, all that we know from the word of God is that the miracles, the preaching, the discipling, the ministry of Jesus, the kingdom of God coming on earth, all of that began in that moment. Not before. And so what happened in that moment? Jesus was affirmed as the son of God by the father. Confirming there is relationship with the father. What else happened? He was water baptized. What else happened? The Holy Spirit then came upon him. The father, so this relationship, baptism, and the Holy Spirit. Those three things just happened and all of a sudden his ministry launches. Maybe it's just a one-off, right? He's the son of God. I mean, come on. You can't really follow what Jesus did. I mean, he's in another category. He never sinned. I mean, we can't follow him, even though he did say, come follow me. But sometimes we have those questions, right? So let's go on to Acts 19, verse 1 through 7. There's a connection here I want you to see between salvation, baptism, and the Holy Spirit. They are not separate products. They are a package deal. In Acts 19, 1 through 7, and it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples. And he said to them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what then were you baptized? They said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began speaking in tongues and prophesying. There was about 12 men in all. So let's recap this scene. Paul, the apostle Paul, the church planner Paul, he rolls into Ephesus. By the way, there's a whole letter in the Bible called Ephesians written to these people. He rolls into town, found some disciples, some people that have already put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. They've already heard the gospel and they've been baptized, but into John's baptism, which is pre-Jesus. And so Paul's saying, hey, that's great and all, but actually there's a different baptism you need to go through. And so not only do they then get water baptized, because that's so important enough to Paul, who, by the way, is like this main guy carrying the gospel message everywhere. But on top of that, then he says, and by the way, you guys don't know about the Holy Spirit. You're going to need him too. And so in this moment, what we see, these disciples, there were some missing pieces that Paul helped fill them in on. And so the people were baptized and the Holy Spirit came. Why am I saying that? Because all three are important. It's important to have your faith in Jesus to be saved. It's important to be water baptized. 
as important to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Let's continue on in case you think I'm just picking out one passage in the Bible, which pastors like to do and make the whole argument around it because there's lots of them, but I just picked out a few for you today. Acts chapter 8, 14 through 17. Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria, these Samaritans, remember these guys, these are like the outcasts. Now the, Samar- now the Samaritans are getting Jesus. This is, this is happening. I mean, this is like modern day, different nations we can't get into. This is like, wow, they started coming to Christ here. This is awesome. So when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent to them Peter and John, heavy hitters. I mean, these are big dogs. It's in like they just came fresh out of school. These guys, they walked it with Jesus. They were rebuked by Jesus. They were encouraged by Jesus. These guys had to try to walk on water, see the miracles. I mean, they have been there, done that. To refute them is like, well, then, I mean, they're the closest they got. I mean, James, Peter, and John were the closest disciples to Jesus. So outside of hearing from him, his words himself, this is about as close you're going to get theologically. Okay. So what did they do? Peter and John came, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit, for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Let me read this verse 16 again. For he had not yet fallen on any of them, But they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. You know what's important here? Is that you're seeing the same thing happen again. There's the trifecta. It is Jesus, it is baptism, and it is the Holy Spirit. And by the way, it says they had not received the Holy Spirit yet. So what they do? They laid hands on them. Some of us are like, whoa, whoa, whoa. That's getting a little weird. What's up with that? Well, it's in the Bible. You know, you got to be a little weird to follow Jesus. Just so you know, if you're trying to be cool, following Jesus is not the right path for you. <laughs> Jesus said a lot of stuff that wasn't cool. All right. But he also said, I'm not trying to please men. I'm trying to please God. So it's uncool to men a lot of times. It's actually really cool to God. Okay. So here they are. It says they laid hands on them. They didn't write a letter and said, hey, guys, get the Holy Spirit. They actually picked up their satchels, whatever they had, made that long trek down to Samaritanville and said, we are going to tell you guys, you need the Holy Spirit. You've been water baptized and that's good. Way to go. You've been baptized in Jesus, but you need the Holy Spirit. Peter and John are saying these things are important. Now this, now you have the new presence of the Holy Spirit inside of us. This is important. Why also? Because it's making us new creations. Dead buried, resurrected, newness of life, right? Romans 8, 14 to 15, for all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. If you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you receive the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Now this is, now this is getting good here, all right? You're connecting the dots here. So the Holy Spirit inside of us confirms our adoption into the family of God. And keeps us from falling back in a slavery of our old ways. If we let him lead us. But I want you to see this. That look. Before Christ. Your only option was slavery. To sin. After Christ. Your option is freedom. Um, Because actually. You're no longer slaves. Now. You can still dabble in stuff by choice. Before Christ. You're powerless. Think about that for a moment. Before Jesus Christ, forgiving you, 
being buried with him, and being filled with the Holy Spirit, I would argue you're going to have a big, long struggle in this world. Um, I can't tell you how many stories of people I know that are saying, man, I said yes to Jesus, but it's just everything's just such a battle and struggle. I'm like, okay, you said, you said yes to him, but have you really buried the old self? Um, have you actually asked him for help? Not just said, Jesus, thanks, but I'm going to go live my life. But see, when you're filled with the Spirit, you can't do that anymore. So now it's every day I have to live my life with you. I have to live my life asking the Holy Spirit, what do I do here? How do I respond here? What, what happens here? There's something that happens, guys, in this gospel of salvation and the Holy Spirit coming upon us. Now, all this put together is giving us an opportunity to live a new life, a resurrected life, which is what God's called us into, right? Not to live the old life and just to kind of clean it up a little bit, but to be completely transformed. So Ephesians 4, through 24 says, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires and be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness in holiness. Again, our old self is before Christ. Our new self is with Christ. The old self is, uh, is before the death, burial, and resurrection, which is signified in water baptism. And the new self comes on the other side of that. And by the way, we're also filled with the Holy Spirit. Now in Ephesians 5.18, these same Ephesians, right, that Paul went to earlier on, now he's writing a letter back to them. It says this, do not get drunk with wine for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Be filled. That sounds a little like strong. Like it's not a suggestion. But it's like be filled. Now what happens when someone gets drunk? It overtakes your senses, doesn't it? It overtakes your senses. It actually makes your body and your mind do things you're not really wanting to do, but now there's kind of, you've been overridden. So when he says, be filled with the Spirit, what's he saying? You see, being filled with the Holy Spirit affects your senses also. But instead of debilitating you, the Spirit empowers you to do what your heart really wants to do, to do what your desires really are, which is to please God. But apart from being filled with him, it's really hard to do that because you're just fighting by yourself. What about fighting with the spirit of God? So how are you filled with the spirit? All right. Some of us are thinking, man, what kind of church is this? You know, so I, and look, I get it. I grew up different denominations and the Holy, I was just like those people that said, I didn't even hear about the Holy Spirit. Who's he? I wasn't like anti, I just, I was like, oh, I was kind of ignorant. It's like, not aware. But here, we have the opportunity to say, okay, so what does it look like? How are you filled with the Spirit? Is it really complicated? No, it's very simple. You ready? You ask. I know you wanted more than that. You ask. How do we know that? Because in Luke 11, 9 through 13, Jesus shares this with us. You know, when it's the words of Jesus, like the red words, oh, man, that's just, that's the stuff. That's the good meat. Try to refute it. You won't be able to, Okay. So here we go, Luke 11, verse 9. And I tell you, ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, it will be opened. What father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then who are evil, ouch, right? Know how to give good gifts to your children. 
how much more will the heavenly father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? See, I told you I was biblical. All right. Now, here's what I want to say. Don't worry about the timing of God. It's God's timing, not yours. That's tough because we're Americans and we like to have our schedules. God, Holy Spirit encounter needs to happen right here. God, I need this. I just, I need you to wedge it in between this and this. He didn't work like that. But he does say to ask. Um, and I want to say that you can't compare your experience with someone else's. In fact, my journey started like this. I didn't know about the Holy Spirit. I began dating Ashley. Would go up to Antioch Waco on the weekends and just start hearing things. And I'm like, this is different and weird. I'm not really sure, but people are really alive here. They really love Jesus. They're actually worshiping. They actually really care about people. I was like, this is different. These guys like love church. Like I've never been around people actually love church. It's weird, you know? I was like, what's wrong with you guys? You know, I, I attended church. I didn't love church, you know? They're like, they love Jesus, love church. Like, well, this is weird, you know? And but I'm like, okay, there's something in the water. I want, you know, what is it, right? And so I remember going up on some Sundays and I would, they'd call people forward and we prayed for it. And I'm like, okay, I want this Holy Spirit. I just want, man, what is it? And I'm just like, all right. So I'm like, Lord, and I'd be, I'd be looking to my right and left and maybe someone's having some experience or something that's kind of looking. And I'm like, okay, I needed to have it like that. So I'm comparing what I want with what I'm seeing, right? Um, so I'm actually not really asking him. I'm just saying, hey, I just, I kind of, whatever that is, that seems good. And so my asking, although it was good to ask, I would probably say I was asking with wrong motives and I was asking with the wrong mindset. It wasn't until someone along the way said to me, hey, Tyler, um, remember you receive by faith, not by feeling. Were you saved by the feelings you had? Are you saved by faith in Jesus? And I was like, yeah, I'm doing the feeling thing. So I said, okay, Lord, I repent for just trying to whatever. And you know what started happening in my desire and my hunger? What started happening was this. Instead of me coming up to someone or situation or life group, really what began to cry in my heart in my personal time with God was, God, I want to be filled with your spirit because I'm tired of trying to follow Jesus without him. I'm exhausted. I need help. Guys, it really came down to, I need the Holy Spirit because I need help in following you, God. Because I'm having a really hard time doing all these things and trying to memorize all these, all these rules and regulations and how I do this and that. And he was like, and all the time, what I was missing was there was a relationship to be had that could lead me and guide me through every situation in life. You don't need a hundred point manual. You need a one point relationship. And it guides you through and like, oh, wow, I have to memorize all that. It's just, I need to know, I need to ask him. What do I do here? How do I do this? How to respond? You have the word in you, coupled with the Holy Spirit. It's like you are to be reckoned with, right? And God can move through you in powerful ways. But guys, it had to change when I started saying I need to receive by faith, not by feeling. Amen. So here's what we're going to do. I want us to stand today. I want the band to come on up so we close. You know, back to this Luke 11 passage, it says, ask, seek, knock, right? Um, and I want our prayer teams to come on, make their way up here as well. And, um, you know, if you looked it up in, in the Greek, it really what it's saying is keep asking or keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. 
It's actually not just a singular deal. It's actually a continuation. And so he says, what? Whoever asks, well, certainly the Father give the Holy Spirit. But you know, um, it's kind of like in marriage. When you get married, um, you make that covenant. You have that relationship there, that big marriage day, honeymoon. That was great, right? And so it's just like one-time experience. And if you just allow, and if you think that one-time experience is actually going to carry me through the next 50 years, you're missing it. Because who knows, you actually have to date and pursue and be in relationship with and talk to keep that marriage going. You see, um, salvation does happen one time, but being filled by the Holy Spirit is supposed to be a continued lifestyle that we continually say, Lord, I need you to fill me. I don't want my mindset to the old. I don't want to think about those things in the past. I need you to fill me. I need you to change me today. I need to have your heart for this person, this situation. I, because guys, if you try to live back in the old self, I just want to say you can't because that old self has been buried. Like it's dead. It's actually gone. It's long gone. <laughs> and you know what's interesting? If you look at all of this together, you see a common thread, which is, um, you know, you're saved through faith in Jesus, right? But it also says that someone's got to tell you about the good news. Philip of the Ethiopian. Someone told you about Jesus Christ. Someone told you the good news, which means it required a person for you actually, and your salvation story required somebody coming and telling you about the message of Jesus. To be baptized, you can't actually baptize yourself. It requires someone to actually baptize you. To be filled with the Holy Spirit, it actually requires someone to come. And over and over, what we see is the laying on of hands, someone saying, hey, I want to pray for you to receive this gift, to be filled with the Holy Spirit. What's the common thread? Every situation requires you to be connected with the Father and with another person, which means you were never meant to live a Christian life by yourself. You were never meant to be a Christian outside of the church. That's actually the summation of the gospel. Saved, baptized, and filled all has to do with you actually having a connection with some other human being. If not, then why would God be challenging us to fulfill the Great Commission? He would say, I'll make disciples. You sit back and watch. But he said, you go and make disciples. You go and baptize and teach. You go and lay hands on and say, now you have the full meal deal to go and take on the enemy. That is what God's calling us into. So if you're here this morning and you're saying, Tyler, man, I could use a fresh filling of the Holy Spirit. I just want to tell you, you may come up, somebody pray for you. You may feel something emotionally or you may not. It doesn't matter. Because when I got saved, I didn't have a bunch of emotions, but I received Jesus by faith. And I said, Lord, I'm in. You may be serious. You may laugh. You may cry. I don't know. But all that, that's fine. But the point is, it is by faith. So this morning, I'm going to ask for you to boldly come forward. If you got to wait in line for someone, that's great. Come on up and let one of these guys literally lay hands on you. It's not weird. It's all in the Bible. Put a hand on your shoulder. And just start praying, Holy Spirit, just come. And I want your, I want the cry of your heart to be this. Lord, I want more of your Holy Spirit because I want to be able to follow you wholeheartedly. That's the desire. The desire is not to be anything else, but I just want to be more in line. I want to walk the narrow path, not the broad one. So would you come and fill me? Because I'm tired of trying to do it by myself. That's the cry of your heart. Lord Jesus, we just pray that you would come right now. Would you come? I pray anyone in the room, Lord, is desiring more of you. 
Spirit of the living God, we invite you in this place. You're welcome to come and fill us, Lord. We need it, Lord. We need it for our marriage. We need it for parenting. We need it for our business, Lord. If, if I, just, I just feel like God's giving. If your business is stuck, I want to challenge you to actually ask the Holy Spirit to give you creative ideas for your business. You're stuck because you've quit asking him for help. If your marriage is stuck, you're stuck because you've, because you've tried to figure it out on your own. You've quit asking him for help. If you ask the Holy Spirit, he would tell you what to do with your spouse. He would tell you how to repent and humble yourself. He would tell you that she needs flowers, and that will actually help. The Holy Spirit is here to help us, lead us, guide us, not just into truth, but into a life-giving, abundant life that Jesus promised. But you cannot have that apart from him. He's inviting us in this morning to come. So if you're here, don't be shy. Be bold. Come up. If you need someone just who you're sitting with, say, lay a hand on me and pray that I receive the Holy Spirit. Fill me again afresh today, we pray. Come on, Lord Jesus.